Okay, what do pole dancing, AI chatbots, and diet culture all have in common? They're all topics explored on Embodied, the award-winning weekly podcast from UNC, North Carolina Public Radio. Each week on Embodied, acclaimed journalist Anita Rao tackles difficult conversations around the taboos of sex and health and relationships to answer important questions about our bodies and our society. Just like reimagining love, nothing is off limits, from the history of hookup culture to an exploration of how mental health affects our relationships. So go ahead and follow Embodied wherever you get your podcasts and make sure that you tell them I sent you. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back to Reimagining Love. It is just you and me once again today. Okay, so back in December, I did a solo episode about taking care of yourself in the early days, weeks, months, post-breakup. And in that episode, I promised you (laughs) that we would return soon to the post-breakup world with an episode exploring how to know when you're ready to date again. So here we are. I'm being a woman of my word. Today, we're going to discuss five relational self-awareness-informed indicators that you can use as sort of a gut check or a check-in for yourself to help you discern whether you're ready to date again or not quite yet. I'm calling these five indicators. Number one, integration of the chapter. Number two, the dating both and. Number three, love versus fear. Number four, reclamation of the sexual self. And number five, clear vision. So this episode is all about self-reflection. And with that in mind, I've created a worksheet to help you navigate some questions. And you can visit dralexandrasolomon.com slash date again to access that worksheet. And for our current newsletter subscribers, I'm going to put the link to the worksheet in the next few newsletters for you. So as I talk you through these five indicators, there's something I want you to keep in mind. Dating again after a breakup or after a divorce is challenging and where you are in terms of your readiness and your willingness to step into this next phase exists on a spectrum. So kind of imagine a spectrum in your mind. On one end of that spectrum might be somebody who is determined to date again because they want to prove something to themselves or to their loved ones or to their ex that they're completely fine. They kind of want to show the world, no, no, I'm okay and I'm not dwelling on the breakup. And that person is maybe kind of going overboard at that one extreme, not taking any time to slow down, to turn their attention inward, to check in with themselves, to acknowledge their feelings. But then the other end of that spectrum is somebody who is frozen, who's really stuck, who's so worried about hurting somebody or being hurt again that they refuse to even entertain the idea of dating again. They're really, really, really focusing on this question. Am I over my ex? How do I know? How would I know if I'm over my ex? And any whiff of a poignant feeling about the past feels to them like proof. See, I, I can't. I can't step out into the dating world. I'm, I'm not over. I'm not done. I have to keep healing. I've got to keep looking at myself. I've got to keep exploring. So those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. And today, we're aiming at creating a process whereby 
you can find your way to that sweet spot on the spectrum, that kind of middle space, which is a space of relational self-awareness between the extremes, right? The one extreme of all action, no self-reflection, and the other extreme of all self-reflection, no action. What I'm wanting you to feel your way into is this kind of anchoring within yourself so that you are in touch with your internal world and able to make choices, choices that are guided with thoughtfulness and specificity and that feel like they're coming from an inside out process. And in that kind of sweet spot we're working towards, I really want you not judging yourself. I suspect that you've got some or a lot of stories or messages kind of banging around inside of you about whether or not you quote unquote should be dating again. And these stories may very well be coming from the people in your life. I know that people in the dating world often have a very well-meaning, but really noisy and quite opinionated chorus of family and friends who are expressing their opinions about your dating life. And that's in part because we're we're kind of like collectively captivated by dating. Think about how many reality dating shows there are. We get voyeuristic about people's love lives for sure. And for your family and your friends, that sort of collective intrinsic interest that we all share blends with their very specific and unique feelings of love for you and their desire for you to be happy. Okay, pause on that last bit. That last bit's important, right? That we just want you to be happy. That belief that a relationship is going to help you feel happy is fueled, number one, perhaps by the fact that maybe the people in your corner have noticed that you've been struggling since the breakup. And so they're like, if you're struggling in your breakup, the solution is dating. But number two, the second idea that might be kind of fueling this like you should be dating. We just want you to be happy. Might be something called amato normativity. So amato normativity is first of all fun to say. Put that word in your mouth for just a moment. Amato normativity. It's like, it couldn't be more nerdy. Couldn't be more fun to say. It's a term that was coined in 2011 by Elizabeth Brake, who is a philosophy professor at Rice University. And that term refers to a cultural belief that intimate relationships are, she calls them, special sites of value, leading us to elevate romantic relationships above all other forms of care and connection. So you've been socialized in a modern normativity I've been socialized in a modern normativity. Your boisterous, noisy, opinionated chorus of family and friends has also been socialized in a modern normativity. <laughs> I can't say it any more times. So that may be part of the explanation for why you find yourself surrounded by people who are like, start dating already. Point being, the people get opinionated. But that's not the only source of the stories. You may also have stories about whether or not you are possibly ready to date again that are coming just from you, right? Your own kind of self-talk. And you might be finding yourself kind of grasping at straws, trying to figure out by what means possible could you assess your own readiness. And I'm feeling very protective of not wanting to become another chorus of voices while also holding on to the fact that you come to me for guidance and support in this area. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you five indicators that I think are really important, that are really salient. But as you hear them, what you're going to find is that they are really, they're not like objective external capital T truths. They are just invitations for you to check in about where you are. They're not these like you know, abstract shoulds, they're ways I want you to look at yourself. So they're obviously founded in you really tuning into your own guidance, your own inner knowing, because every single breakup that has ever happened is unique. And that means that every single healing journey, therefore, is unique. Last thing here is that in this process of figuring out whether you're ready to date again or not, please make sure that you leave yourself lots of space for trial and error because sometimes it is 
precisely in the experience of going out on a date that you realize, oh, okay, wow, I am not feeling good in this setting. I guess I need some more time and space to heal. If you are learning about your readiness or here, your lack of readiness, because you tried to go on a date and you about ran out in a full sweat, that does not mean that you are bad or wrong or broken or foolish. That means you're human. And part of how we as humans learn is by trying and fumbling and figuring it out. It also doesn't mean that you made a mistake, right? I would really love for all of us to just sort of banish the word mistake from our vocabularies and instead replace it with what you've heard me talk about as an FGO. It's a freaking growth opportunity. Going on a date, learning that on that date that you are nowhere near ready or not ready is an FGO, right? You just, you learned by doing, you learn by stumbling. This also, by the way, does not mean that you were cruel and hurtful to the person that you tried to date. You didn't trick them. You didn't manipulate them. You were not intentionally harmful, As is the case with any of our FGOs, the goal is that you take that FGO and use it to just make yourself that much more compassionate with the deep humanness of others who also are sometimes learning through their own FGOs. So use it as an empathy builder when down the road, someone else perhaps has one of those trial and error experiences with you. So if you leave this episode feeling more confident that you're ready to get back out there again, awesome. If you realize in this episode that you need a bit more time to heal, equally awesome. The best and bravest decision is the decision that honors where you are in your healing journey. We tend to not heal particularly well or completely or efficiently or effectively via pressure and pulling and tugging. We tend to heal more effectively when we're given the time and space we need. I want this to be a supportive episode that helps you check in with yourself and that leaves you with a bit much more confidence that you can trust yourself. That's huge. If you can come away a bit more anchored in your own self-trust, then that is going to be an episode well spent for you and for me. So let us dive in with our first relational self-awareness informed indicator. RSA indicator number one. Integration of the chapter. So the beauty of relationships is that each and every one of them grants us opportunities to deepen relational self-awareness. We learn about who we are as we move through different relationship challenges. And the degree to which you're ready to date again rests in part on the degree to which you have integrated the chapter, which is your last relationship. Your last relationship is a chapter in the larger story of your life. If it was a long-ass marriage, it was a long-ass chapter, but even a long-ass marriage is not the sum total of the story of your life. The last relationship you are in, the one that you are healing from, is a chapter in the larger story of your life. In other words, the degree to which you are ready to date again is the degree to which you have gleaned the lessons from your last relationship. You are the common thread in all of your relationships, which is not to say that you are to blame for relationship endings. It is simply to say that you are going to take yourself with you into your next relationship. So make sure that you maximize your understanding of your patterns and your strengths and your growing edges and the kind of context you need, the kind of relational ecosystem that you need to show up as your youest expression of you. If somebody asked you right now, why did your last relationship end? You would have a story to tell. That's your breakup story, right? You have a breakup story. Here is where the rubber hits the road. Is your breakup story black and white? Or does your breakup story have shades of gray? Does your breakup story, or to what degree, does your breakup story honor what I call the golden equation of love? My stuff? plus your stuff equals our stuff. That equation is the equation we take with us from our first date all the way through our 50-year anniversary, if, if we should get to that point. My stuff plus your stuff equals our stuff. That's that systemic thinking that you always hear me talking about. 
So does your breakup story honor the golden equation of love or is your breakup story by contrast full of blame, my ex was crazy, or shame, I screwed it all up? On Reimagining Love, we spend so much time looking at the stories that we tell about our lives because our stories either keep us stuck or set us free. And a narrow, blamey, or shamey story about your breakup indicates to you that you still have some healing to do before you're ready to open back up and create a new relationship, one that has more capacity for connection and emotional safety, perhaps, than your last one. If you're feeling concerned that you're stuck in a black and white hero villain story, just start off by going easy on yourself. Because first of all, people can actually really suck. Your ex might truly be the villain of this story, especially if your breakup story is riddled with dishonesty or infidelity or abuse of any kind. That is a crappy story. That is a story where, you know, the vast majority of responsibility for the end of this relationship rests at your ex's feet. They did harm. You were harmed. Harm is real. Harm happens. And even with all of that, I want to encourage you because you deserve it to paint a picture of that relationship with a bit more color than just you were purely the victim at an abuser's hands. If that was true for you, that was true for you. And also you deserve at some point with your healing to reflect. What did I learn about myself in the process of ending the relationship? What did I learn in that relationship with my ex about what I don't want in a next relationship? What old wound, perhaps from long before I even had met my ex, did I have the opportunity to tend to precisely because of the pain I experienced in my last relationship? What did my ex teach me about the need for boundaries, about the need for transparency, about the need for emotional safety and what that looks like, about the need for trust, et cetera, et cetera? This is really tricky territory, isn't it? Like I feel it even as I'm saying this part. Something can be both painful and growth promoting. Something can be the kind of thing you would never wish on anybody and something that still grew you as a person nonetheless. That's one of the toughest dialectics, isn't it? That's one of the toughest both ends. And we want to be careful not to say, oh, well, because I grew from the experience, it somehow makes the pain good or right or okay or justifiable. No, we're not saying that. But we also need to be careful because I would never want the pain to crowd out your ability to recognize that you learn something from the experience or to have the experience grow you into the person that you want to be, that you get to be, right? That's really tricky. You get to keep the benefits of that painful relationship, not as consolation prizes, but as yours, right? You truly are better able to recognize boundary violation now. You truly are better able to recognize what the absence of trust looks and feels like and how it impacts you. Those are not like sort of Pollyanna-ish things that you gained or ways that you grew. Like those are yours to keep and hone and share with others as they earn the right to hear your story, as Brene Brown says. It's also really easy and understandable that we, especially in the early days and weeks and months, get stuck in kind of a hero villain story because hurt hurts. Breakups are genuinely painful. Research from University of Michigan, 2011, found that romantic rejection can activate the same areas of the brain as those areas that are associated with physical pain. So when pain is writing a story, that story is going to be narrow. That's how pain speaks. Pain speaks in the language of protection. It's a natural defense mechanism. As you heal, your story expands. Part of what we reclaim on our healing journey is nuance. As pain is less acute, space is created for compassion, for wisdom, for forgiveness. 
And all of that is so important because as you create space for a story that holds more shades of gray, you are less inclined to view your future relationship through the lens of your past relationship. We're going to come back to that idea in the fifth indicator. So how can you tell if you have integrated the chapter of your last relationship? Well, you can tell because your breakup story is a higher relational self-awareness breakup story versus a lower relational self-awareness breakup story. Okay, first of all, shades of gray. A lower RSA breakup story has no shades of gray. This might sound like saying things like dating sucks or people always screw you in the end. Higher RSA breakup stories have shades of gray. This might sound like the timing was not great for us or I did some damaging stuff and they did some damaging stuff or we didn't share a vision of the future. Okay, how about characterization of self and other? Lower RSA breakup stories characterize self and others in terms that are full of shame and blame. So this might sound like my ex is a loser, my ex is an addict, my ex is a narcissist. Conversely, this might sound like I am a loser, I am an addict, I'm crazy, I'm broken, I'm unlovable, right? Blame and shame in terms of characterization of who I am and who my ex is. Contrast that with a breakup story that is based in more, higher relational self-awareness. There's generosity of intention. There's self-compassion. So generosity of intention might sound like this. My ex was struggling with addiction. My ex was in a really difficult set of circumstances. My ex was not able to or not willing to attend to their pain, to their trauma. They weren't able to connect with me, right? There's more generosity of intention there. And or self-compassion, which sounds like I was struggling in my own addiction and not able to be the partner that I really want to be. I was in a lot of pain. I wasn't where I am now in terms of my own healing journey. I was trapped in really difficult circumstances and therefore wasn't able to connect with my partner. Right, So there's just more generosity there. Okay, finally, these higher versus lower RSA breakup stories might show up in terms of how you look at kind of the big picture of the past. So a lower RSA breakup story casts the entire relationship in a negative light. This might sound like that whole thing was a waste of time, or I cannot believe that I got screwed like that. Whereas a higher RSA breakup story makes even just a little bit of space to focus on growth. I wish that I knew then what I know now, but I'm focusing on looking ahead. Or although I'm definitely still working on forgiving myself, I am better able to hold on to my own worthiness today. Or even, it still hurts when I think about my ex, but I'm better able now to release them to their own journey in return to my own journey. So that kind of thicker narrative. So if you hear echoes of your situation in those lower RSA breakup stories, Don't shame yourself for it. It's not a condemnation. It's just an opportunity for you to discover where you are in this moment on your path of healing. Evolving your understanding of your breakup is part of the process. And finding forgiveness for yourself and maybe even forgiveness or at least letting go of your former partner opens you up to opportunities for greater joy and discovery and stepping into your next relationship. Okay, RSA indicator number two is what I'm calling the dating both and. You know how I feel about a both and here. So somebody who is ready to date again is able to find the truth for themselves in both of the following statements. Statement one, my life is full. Statement two, I want a relationship. That's not an either or, that's a both and. So check in with yourself here. To what degree are you able to hold on to both of those feelings at the same time? That first feeling, my life is full. That's a feeling of self-sufficiency. 
That is that trusting sense that you are a source for yourself, a source of trust, a source of worthiness, a source of care, that you have your own back, that you have the ability to fill a day, that you can create experiences for yourself, that you can connect with people around you who matter to you. That second feeling, I want a relationship, is a feeling of interconnectedness. It's an openness to connection. It's a willingness to stretch for the sake of building something with somebody else. It's a desire to care for someone and to let that person care for you. And that ability to hold on to both, my life is full and I want a relationship, that ability indicates that you are ready to date again. If all you feel is my life is full, then you might resist making space for an intimate partner. If all you feel is, I want a relationship, you might jump in quickly to a new relationship in an attempt to fill a perceived hole inside of you. I want to just make a little gender note here, that especially those of us who've been socialized as women in this culture, we're given the message from a very young age that our worth rests on our desirability as an intimate partner, and that being single is a reflection that If we are single, we are therefore not desirable, right? So partnership proves worth under traditional patriarchal socialization, which is how we all have been socialized. So you didn't make up that longing all on your own, right? That longing of, I want a relationship is in part your desire to connect. In part, it is your desire to prove to the world something about your desirability. So there's parts of that that you imported or inherited, but you get to tend to it yourself. You know what I mean? If you if you have a growing edge here, if you feel like you need to be in a relationship to be okay, I will direct you back to the strategies I discussed in the earlier episode, which was called Guidance for the Newly Single, because those guidance strategies were all about tending to yourself, kind of quieting that need inside of yourself so that then when and if you choose to date again, it's a choice, not a need. Those five, by the way, were the power of nature the power of movement, the power of nutrition, the power of community, and the power of discovery. Okay, so last thing I'll say about this second indicator of readiness to date, this dating both and, is that um, one of my favorite memories of launching my first book, which was Loving Bravely, was being at this event. And uh, a woman approached me and she was a newly divorced woman. And she said, your book helped me stop feeling badly for wanting to be in a relationship again. And that was, I mean, that was not really the point of writing Loving Bravely necessarily. But what I thought was so cool is that having done the work of the Loving Bravely book, she was better able to hold that both and. She was better able to push back against this notion that independence and partnership are opposites that I'm either independent or I'm in a relationship. Those are not diametrically opposed. It's not either or. You can be both self-sufficient and desirous of a romantic relationship. In fact, that is the sturdiest foundation for a relationship, choosing to love, being excited to love, rather than feeling like you need to love to be okay. All right, moving along. Number three, love versus fear. So if indicator number two, the dating both and, was about mindset, indicator number three, love versus fear, is about motivation. So mindset, motivation. If you're a long-time listener, you've heard me talk about the two motivators, approach and avoidance, or said more poetically, love and fear. This love versus fear distinction is one that I read many years ago in the book Conversations with God, which was written by spiritual teacher Neil Donald Walsh. Here's the quote. Quote, all human actions are motivated at their deepest level by two emotions, fear or love. In truth, there are only two emotions, only two words in the language of the soul. Fear wraps our bodies in clothing. Love allows us to stand naked. Fear clings to and clutches all that we have. Love gives all that we have away. Fear holds close. Love holds dear. 
Fear grasps, love lets go. Fear rankles, love soothes. Fear attacks, love amends. End quotes. So here I am inviting you to investigate what's motivating your desire to date again. You are ready to date again when you are guided more by love than by fear. And it doesn't need to be 100% love, 0% fear, because I don't know if we ever live fully in love and not at all in fear. But certainly, I would like the balance for you to tilt towards love. So fear, dating again, motivated by fear, sounds like this. I have something to prove. I need to move on before my ex does. I'm afraid to be alone. I'm embarrassed by being single. Being single proves that the breakup must have been my fault. By contrast, love says, I have a lot to give. I am worthy of connection. I am on my own team. I have a lot to offer. I know my worth. I trust myself to navigate the complexities of a new relationship. So here's a beautiful opportunity for you to just attend to your self-talk, not from a propped up Stuart Smalley place. Remember Stuart Smalley from the old SNL skit, but from a place of both and you are both imperfect and worthy. So if you're feeling a lot of that fear-based motivation, your first step is just to recognize it. Aha. When she was offering those examples of what fear-based motivation sounds like, that is me. That's where I live. I want to date because I feel like I need to move on before my ex does. I want to date because I'm scared of being single, being quiet with myself. Okay, fine. Recognize it. Acknowledge it. That is huge in and of itself. Also, practice patience. Fear is the language of pain. So your fear talking is just highlighting that you are still in pain. Give yourself time to heal and recover. Keep working ever so gently at the ways in which you participated in the creation of the dynamics in your last relationship, not to blame yourself, but rather just to remind yourself of your power, of your agency. If you had a hand in creating a problematic dynamic with your ex, you will have a hand in creating a healthier one with a new partner. Challenge yourself to look for the bounty in your life. A gratitude practice would serve you well here. And gratitude practices can be super simple, like an app on your phone, a little notebook next to your bed. Gratitude practices have research behind them. You're kind of forcing your mindset out of fear and towards love. So that can become a daily practice for you. Also grab every opportunity or challenge yourself to grab more opportunities to thank the people in your life for the things they do for you or how they show up for you, even just silly little things. Again, that practice of thanking people is the shift from fear to love. It's the shift towards noticing. Another thing you could do is just, again, challenge yourself to pay people compliments whenever possible. Like really stretch to pay compliments to the people you interface with. Any and all of those shifts help you orient more and more and more towards plenty, towards safety, towards ease, towards goodness, goodness within you and goodness around you. Okay, little mid-show reminder here for you that a lot of this is condensed and consolidated into a worksheet for you. You can head to dralexandrasolomon.com slash date again to grab it. If you already are part of the newsletter community, you're going to get the worksheet in the upcoming few Tuesday newsletters. Okay, number four, reclamation of your sexual self. So breakups can sometimes, not always, profoundly shake our connection to our sexual selves. This can be especially the case if your ex was your first serious sexual partner or first sexual partner at all. This can be especially the case if your ex was your first sexual partner of the sexuality that you have emerged into. 
In other words, if you recently came out as queer and so your last partner was the first person with whom you had experiences of queer sex, that can be especially true that you feel particularly disoriented and disconnected now in the breakup. Because in these situations, loving and being loved by them helped you step into your sexuality and perhaps into your identity. And or a breakup or a divorce can also feel particularly disruptive to your sexual self if you were sexually monogamous with your ex and you were with them for a very long time. It can also be the case if your breakup was due to a sexual betrayal, like infidelity. So any or all of those experiences can leave you feeling disconnected from your sexual self. Like, who who am I sexually? I sometimes refer to your sexual self as your sexy, like capital Y, your capital S sexy, like turning sexy into a noun. So you might feel in this moment like you could date again, but you feel overwhelmed by the prospect of getting naked with a partner, being sexual with a partner. So this fourth check-in is an important one. I think part of healing always is attending to our body, toward our physicality, toward our sexuality. So first of all, even just by encouraging you to check in with your sexy, I'm reminding you that your sexuality is bigger than your last relationship. You had a sexual self before you were with your last partner, and you continue to have a sexual self despite the end of that relationship. Yes, you shared your sexual self with your former partner, but they don't take your sexy with them. They don't. You are likely ready to date again and be sexual again if the following statements ring true for you. My ex does not take my sexuality with them. I am invested in continuing to be a lifelong learner about sex. I trust myself to be clear about what I'm looking for in sex. So notice all those statements really are about you. They're not about your last partner or your next partner. They really are about you. So those statements also indicate that you are anchored or anchoring in your own sexuality, that you know that you may be sexual with somebody else again, but that's more you sharing your sexuality with somebody else than you becoming sexual because you're with somebody else. This idea of reclaiming your sexuality after a breakup also connects back to that fear versus love distinction we were talking about a moment ago. So let's tie that idea of fear versus love to your sexuality. The energy of love is rooted in bounty, in trust, in patience, in joy. The energy of fear is rooted in scarcity and should and judgment and guilt and control. So when it comes to a desire to have a sexual connection, listen to how the energy of love might sound. I want to have sex. I am excited to be with my new partner in this way. I am ready for fun or for escape or for connection, or for play, or for pleasure. By contrast, the energy of fear might sound like this. Ugh, it's the third date, therefore we need to have sex. Or, I should want to have sex. Or, something is wrong with me, or something's wrong with you, or something's wrong with us if we don't have sex. Or, this person might lose interest in me if we don't. Or, I'm obligated to. If this topic is feeling especially relevant to you on your healing journey, I, of course, encourage you to read my second book, which is called Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the Relationships that You Want. I think it'll be a really powerful but gentle resource for you. And I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. So let me take this moment while we're talking about sex to highlight something that is really important to me as a therapist, which is this. Many people start therapy when they're going through a breakup or a divorce. If you're one of those people and you and your therapist are working together to help you heal from your breakup, your therapist ideally is bringing up the topic of sex with you as part of getting to know you, as part of understanding your relationship journey, as part of helping you envision your next steps. But if your therapist is not bringing up the topic of sex with you, 
I want you to feel really, really authorized to open that door yourself in the therapy space. Part of making sense of the end of your last relationship is understanding the ways in which your sexual connection was perhaps an asset or perhaps a liability. Whether sex with your last partner was awesome or abysmal, you need to understand those dynamics so that you can make sense of them, integrate them, and be that much more anchored in the kind of sexual dynamics you want and need in your next relationship. Part of your healing is feeling able to discern for yourself the conditions that need to be in place for you to create healthy and healing sexual dynamics in your next relationship. So here's why I'm so insistent on giving you this nudge that if your therapist isn't bringing up sex, you should be bringing up sex. There's some evidence that suggests that some therapists feel hesitant to raise the topic of sex with their clients. I have compassion for therapists who are struggling to raise the topic of sex with clients. It makes sense. Therapists are people and many people, most people, all people are socialized to feel like it's impolite to talk about sex. And so we therapists don't escape that socialization. There's also some other reasons why your therapist might be scared to make the first move in terms of talking about sex with you. Your therapist might be afraid of you perceiving them as intrusive, or your therapist might be worried about making you feel uncomfortable. If there's a significant age gap between you and your therapist, you're either a lot older than your therapist or you're a lot younger than your therapist, it can further fuel for your therapist some self-protection or some protection of you. Your therapist might be afraid to ask you questions about sex because your therapist might not feel sure that they are going to know how to handle it if you bring up sexual problems or sexual challenges. And that's real because there are lots of therapists out there who were not trained to talk about sex or not trained to address sexual concerns. So this fear of talking about sex permeates training programs as well. There are lots of therapists who, in order to be able to talk competently about sex, need to do additional training outside of and after their graduate school programs. It's getting better, but it's certainly not where it needs to be across the board in terms of all training programs. And final thing, your therapist may not have had a lot of modeling for how to talk directly and seriously about sex. Now, all of that is your therapist's responsibility, not yours. Your therapist's problem, not yours. Your therapist's growing edges, not yours. But I'm saying it to you right now because I have <laughs> I have your ears. What I'm saying to you is that if they seem to be nervous talking about sex, because they are worried about making you uncomfortable, you might need to model the change that you want to see in your therapy relationship. You might need to be the one to make the first move, to bring it up. It, you know, quote unquote, shouldn't be that way. But if it is that way, then I want you to feel authorized to take the lead. Think of it as perhaps a little practice of getting back out there in the dating world, right? Talking about sex with a potential new sexual partner is also going to be really, really important for you. So you can practice talking about sex, raising the topic of sex by talking about it with your therapist. And if you need to, you just go ahead and throw me right under the bus. I am always here to be thrown under the bus, especially thrown under the bus with your therapist. Just tell your therapist, you know, Dr. Alexandra said that talking about sex and therapy, especially after a breakup is really, really important. And I'm worried that I might be ignoring some healing that needs to be done in that arena. So can we talk about it? So why do I think that it's so important to talk about sex and to attend to your sexual healing? Well, sexual self-awareness is one of the pillars of relational self-awareness and sex is a very powerful both and. It is both a behavior that we do and it is something that evokes the deepest aspects of what makes us human. And when we're in a couple relationship, there's a connection between sex and overall relationship well-being. So as you're healing from your past relationship, re-examining your sexual self-awareness in this new era of yours is essential. Sex can be a source of pain or a source of healing. And we know, we know from the research that couples who can talk about sex have better sex. They experience more desire, more arousal, more reliable erectile functioning if there is an, an erection to be had, more lubrication if there are parts that could use some lubrication, and more 
orgasm, all things that I want you to be able to foster in your next relationship. Also, a therapist can help you explore the motivations for sex, like help you more deeply understand your motivations for sex. As you move towards dating again, you're going to be navigating new sexual experiences and decisions, and it's important for you to be clear on where your boundaries are. If you're feeling particularly motivated to be sexually active again, I'd like you just to check in about how much of that urgency is perhaps coming from what we call skin hunger. Skin hunger, which is just a freaking desire to touch and be touched, that that skin-to-skin contact is something I talked about a lot during the pandemic because we were suddenly all put into these strange new situations that changed our relationship with human contact. During the pandemic, I used to talk about how most of us fell into one of two categories. I called them team space craver and team skin hunger. Team space craver were the people who were living with others and perhaps feeling overwhelmed by all of the togetherness and all of the responsibilities and the fact that everybody was going to work and going to school and socializing all under the same roof. They were craving space. They were like, touch? Are you kidding me? I want to be alone. Team skin hunger included people who are living alone or working remotely. Um, These are all the people who are missing hugs and missing dating and missing sex and wrestling with loneliness and craving connection. And I would argue here that this framework applies to breakups. After a breakup, you might suddenly find yourself on team skin hunger. Well, in fact, if you had a long drawn out goodbye with a partner where connection eroded over a long period of time, you may have been on team skin hunger for longer than you ever would have wanted to be. So I want to normalize and validate skin hunger during this single era that you are finding yourself in now. It's real. Skin hunger doesn't happen because you're weak or needy. Skin hunger happens because you are like a literal, actual mammal. It is natural to crave that connection. But you want to make sure that that motivation isn't leading you towards unhealthy actions that end up being disconnected from your emotional needs. For example, I once had a client say to me, I realized that I was seeking one night stands purely for the physical contact, purely because of skin hunger, but ultimately they were making me feel worse. What I really actually wanted was not sex. I just wanted to be held. So if you relate to that statement, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my hand on my heart for you. I'm normalizing to you skin hunger, and I'm inviting you to discern what is your motivation, right? Like, and how else, by what other means might you tend to your skin hunger? And that's what I did actually in in that relationship. We worked on expanding ideas about how they could satisfy that need for physical contact. And we played with getting creative about reconnecting to their bodies in new ways, because that way, by attending to their own skin hunger, then they could choose to be sexual when they actually wanted to be sexual versus when they actually wanted to be held. So I'm going to share with you now a list of strategies for tending to your skin hunger that I gathered back during the pandemic on my Instagram account. At some point, I put up a sticker and asked people for all of the ways that they were honoring their skin hunger during the pandemic. And here's what the people, (laughs) how the people spoke. Here's what the people said. Dancing, like especially bachata, West Coast swing, burlesque, cuddle parties, tantric dating, pole dancing, ecstatic dance or five rhythms dance, swimming, manicures and pedicures, boxing, jujitsu, acro yoga, getting a scalp massage during a haircut, being part of a support group, having a pet, cuddling with platonic friends, attending to my skin, things like showers and lotions and baths and cozy blankets, lifting weights, you know, lifting weights gives that like proprioceptive feedback that tends to our skin's need. Massages. Later on, the same client shared with me that by both being able to identify when they were feeling that skin hunger and having multiple avenues for dealing with it, they were able to be more discerning about when they actually wanted to hook up with somebody. So that is the power of relational self-awareness. 
RSA indicator number five is what I'm calling clear vision. Clear vision is the ability to sit down on a date and get to know the person in front of you for the full and whole and three-dimensional person that they are versus seeing this person against the backdrop of your ex. So as you explore new partners and new possibilities, are you at a place in your healing journey where you can see your potential partner for who they are as opposed to seeing them in the shadow of your ex? Are you able to see potential partners for who they are versus seeing them as a sort of one-dimensional projection? When Todd and I got engaged, my mentor and supervisor, Dr. Bill Pinzoff, gave me a book called I and Thou, and it was written in 1923 by Australian-Israeli philosopher Martin Buber. And Martin Buber drew a contrast in this book between I-Thou relationships and I-It relationships, which sounds super harsh. I-It relationships are ones where we're experiencing the other person in a transactional way. What can you do for me? Or where do you fit into my world? Or what function can you serve in my life? Versus I-Thou relationships, where we're really able to see this other person as a separate locus of consciousness, as their own unique expression of the divine. We're present with them. We're curious about them. We feel separate from them and we're like traversing across this bridge to understand them more deeply. And we're taking them in as they are. So when your fear and your pain are in the driver's seat, you're more likely to show up on a date with an I-it orientation because your unconscious question, the question that you're sort of unconsciously asking your date is, can you please promise to not be anything like my ex, right? That's kind of an I-it orientation. Like I need you to be not them. You're viewing them in opposition to your ex or by contrast to your ex. When your healing and your hope are in the driver's seat, you're showing up on a date in more of an I-thou orientation. You're showing up on that date with the capacity to get to know this person as they are. It's the difference between being reactive and being responsive. And you're probably not quite ready to date again if you're in that reactive mode, because what you're doing in that reactive mode is you're looking for somebody who's 180 degrees from your ex. 180 degrees is rarely the answer. It's a wishful impossibility. This reactive viewpoint can also end up shaping how you view this new person. You're kind of sizing them up against this list of traits that your ex had. Right? Like, are you this? No. Are you this? No. Are you this? No. What's risky here is that most qualities in human beings exist on a spectrum rather than as a binary. So if you're choosing this person because they seem to be passing the test, they're not my ex, they're not my ex, they're not my ex, then the moment that they do something that is anywhere near similar to something your ex might have done or your ex might have said, you're going to get afraid. You're going to get triggered. You're going to get angry. You might get mad at yourself. I'm an idiot. Or you might get mad at them. They duped me. So having said that, I want to be clear that I think it's really lovely actually to stay open to noticing those contrasts, noticing those delightful moments when you observe a new potential partner behaving in ways that were refreshingly different from your ex. I just heard a really sweet story about a young woman who was recovering from a relationship where her last partner was pretty limited in what he was able to offer in terms of care or generosity or spoiling. And she was on a date with somebody new and she was just delighted by the way that this person asked her a million questions and put his jacket over her shoulders when she got chilly. And she was delighted by that. She was sort of surprised and delighted. And what that highlighted for her was how much those little forms of care really meant to her, like how how nourishing those things were. So I'm here for that. I'm here for you noticing and being surprised by it. That's how you learn what's going to work for you. That's how you learn the kinds of conditions that help you feel at ease and engaged and enlivened. The conditions that bring forward your favorite version of yourself. 
So do you feel the difference? It's the difference between insisting and observing, feeling like you need to be able to fit your partner into a box labeled not my ex indicates that you might not quite be ready to date. Feeling able to notice how you connect more easily with certain kinds of exchanges or certain personality traits indicates that you are ready to explore and date. One final reminder here that can help you move into that space of clear vision is knowing that you do not need to feel 100% neutral about your ex in order to date again. Neutrality is not the sole indicator of healing. Even if you're fully ready and excited about a new partner, when a certain song comes on or a certain topic comes up, you might feel a pang. When there's a trigger of a memory, you might feel activated. You don't have to interpret that pang as an indicator that you're not over your ex or that your new relationship is doomed. Love does not leave us where it finds us. We are forever changed by our important relationships. So this just, I mean, all it does is speak to the power that relationships have. And that's why you don't have to ever be fully neutral about your ex. You can have a pang for the past and be open and loving towards somebody new. I think part of the reason that the presence of a pang can feel so scary and thus fuel that need for a new partner to be wholly different from a last partner connects to the idea of mononormativity. We did amatonormativity earlier in the episode, and now we're going to do mononormativity. Mononormativity is a term that gets frequently used in the poly community to describe our cultural assumption that we can only love one person at a time and that monogamy is inherently healthier and better than other relationship forms. If you're monogamous, I encourage you to investigate your ideas about love and exclusivity. What are your assumptions around being able to have loving feelings towards more than one person at a time? And are these ideas perhaps contributing to why you interpret those pangs as a sign that you're not ready to date again, and perhaps why you really are fierce and firm about the new one has to be different than the old one? Maybe this can be an opportunity for you to reflect on and hold a little bit of awareness about what you appreciated about your ex and also feel hopeful about your future at the very, very, very same time. Okay. We did it. Thank you for joining me here on Reimagining Love for one of our solo deep dives. No matter where you find yourself in your journey of dating, I hope that you're letting in love and joy and self-confidence and that those are the qualities that are guiding your decision-making. I want nothing less for you. you want to grab the companion worksheet, go to dralexandrasolomon.com slash date again. If you're a newsletter subscriber, you're going to get that worksheet in your newsletter anyway, so you will not miss it. And I will see you back here next week on Reimagining Love. Until then, be well. Reimagining Love is produced and edited by Emily Reeves. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love. Before you go, I want to share a podcast with you that I think you're really going to enjoy. Like Reimagining Love, this show is all about love and relationships, but with a rom-com twist. I'm very excited to introduce you to Meet Cute, a fantastic audio fiction podcast that's an escape into romantic fiction. 
specializing in immersive audio romantic comedies, starring talent that you love like Amy Sedaris, Bridgerton's Charithra Chandran, Noah Galvin, and Pauline Chalamet. Meet Cute produces an original rom-com in six episodes each month. If you're intrigued, stick around to hear a short trailer and then go find Meet Cute wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Are you tired of waiting for sparks to fly on your dating app? Do you dream of running through airports to deliver an out-of-breath, unplanned monologue? Then stop doom-scrolling and start listening to Meet Cute Rom-Coms. Feel-good love stories that take you from chance encounter to grand romantic gesture in just 15 minutes. We're bringing rom-coms back. Get a brand new Meet Cute series on the first Tuesday of every month with new episodes twice a week. Fall in love with Meet Cute Rom-Coms wherever you find your podcasts. Is this where we kiss? (laughs) 